Hey, welcome to Airtime by Extreme. The only podcast that gets you up close and personal with the greats of extreme sports. Throughout the series, we're going to be hanging out with athletes, organizers, and all kinds of other people on the scene. Giving you access to all areas of their lives and careers so you can find out what it really means to be extreme. As always, that access is brought to you by the team at Extreme. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and all of our social channels. Sign up for the latest news on our website, extremesportscompany.com. The link's in the description. Let's get into it. Welcome to this week's episode of Airtime. Joining us this week is Andy Harris. So Andy, I think it's uh, fair to hand it over to you at this point and tell us a little bit about you. Ah, God, what do I do? A bit about me. Um, It's complex what I do and who I am. Um, I, I suppose the best way to explain it is I help brands facilitate activities that would be a bit dangerous okay. and then I kind of work with them to um, make it safe I suppose the best way to explain it yeah okay nice and I presume that's kind of taking you all around the world doing various different things which we're going to touch on but then I suppose the best place to start would be where did it all start for you where was that beginning point yeah okay um God, I'll tell you the exact beginning point actually mm-hmm. Tesco uh, wow. Tesco <laughs> in uh, somewhere in West Berkshire when a mate phoned me up okay um and it was, uh, it was quite a surreal thing. Uh, I was in the, I'd left the military by then. Mm-hmm. I was in the, I was doing stuff for the ambulance service. And he phoned me up and said, did I want to come and work on Top Gear? Doing some track cover at Dunsfold where they filmed Top Gear. Come and do some ambulance work. And it kind of went from there. That's kind of the entry that I had. At the time, as I say, I was just in emergency services. And that was my introduction to um, TV, film, event type work. Wow, so that's a that's a pretty uh, solid start into yeah. the kind of safety world. Top Gear, big, big name. I mean, you just mentioned the services there as well. So before before this, just explain a little bit about the services, what you were doing there, and then how that transition. Or yeah, what stopped there, and yeah, got the transition then into the the safety side. So I um, left school, went straight to the army, cool. uh, did my time in the forces, did um, Bosnia back in the day, back during the Balkan conflict. Um, did a lot of um, Arctic survival activities as well. So I'd be up in Norway doing all the Arctic skiing survival um, experience. And then from that, left and then went to the ambulance. Well, I went to the Ministry of Defence, fire and ambulance service to start with. And then left that and then ended up in the normal fire brigade from that. So oh, okay. my background was kind of from school. It was like things being shot at, things exploding, cars crashing, people getting hurt. That was all I kind of knew. A bit negative, really. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, from there, it just kind of grew. And then I transitioned across to more sort of like film and eventy motorsport activities and stunts and all sorts of other weird and wonderful stuff. And is that is that because there's a passion for that or just naturally happened or kind of, yeah, what, what took you in that direction? Good question. Um, it naturally happened. But then as it progressed more and more, I started learning that I thought I was quite good in doing this activity. So they're like a, a passion grew of it from there. When you realize that you're, you're good at something, you want to keep doing it again to, mm-hmm. to get that feedback that you've pulled off something quite different and unique. So it, it went from there. Um, and it's kind of, it's all I really know about is that background. And all I've done is just combine that background into uh, a product that I now do. Amazing. And the uh, the armed forces experience or just what experience do you need and how do you get into this? What kind of trainings required? Yeah, I mean it's it's something that I know nothing about. How do you get into this world and what mm. what what skill set do you need? Gotcha. So 
my job title technically is I'm a health and safety advisor. That's if you went you know, buttoned down exactly what I do, which isn't it's definitely the most more exciting. Interesting than that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like it isn't the most exciting job title when you say that's what you do. But then when you then backtrack and look at the activities that I do, then yeah. it makes sense. So obviously I went from uh, my time in the forces where I learned about firearms and weapons and um, being in cold weather places, hot weather places, etc. Then my time in the emergency services where it was then fires and crashes and people getting hurt. Um, and then I went back to college, which was very, very difficult for me and did a uh, NVQ, occupational oh, um, health and safety NVQ, and then eventually became a graduate of IOSH. So I kind of, and going back in my 30s to, to college was quite difficult since I didn't really do any exams in school. Mm. But um, I know how I just combined all of that background and all of that understanding, especially with the, the motor racing activities, which I did as well, just combined all that um, into, into doing what I do now. Brilliant. Interesting. And then do you find from working in the emergency services and the armed services, you were taught how to react to stuff or how to deal with the situation. Do you find that going onto the other side into the health and safety side, you had quite a unique viewpoint and you're used to dealing with stuff, but suddenly you're actually trying to prevent it. Do you think that gave you quite a unique insight into how to approach things? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because you're in emergency services, you are uh, reactive. Mm. You respond to what happens in front of you. Whereas in the industry I'm in now, you have to be very proactive. You have to plan for the eventualities for the things going wrong. So it's kind of those two backgrounds. You combine mm. it, and it's kind of what I what I understand. But the good thing, I suppose, is because of my time, not so much in the forces, but more, you know, I did 10 years in emergency services. That is what's given me the real-world understanding of a bad day at work mm. to kind of understand the reality of when things go wrong, what happens to that, and then go back and think, Okay, how can we proactively stop this? Yeah. And then, so you mentioned the first job kind of in this in this remit, you got pulled into Top Gear. Just run us through that first day and then how your careers yeah. developed from there. Kind of, yeah, what what kind of brought you in? What were you excited about? And then, yeah, to then make this your future career. Mm. So Top Gear has been a, a massive part of, of what I do for 14 years now. Uh, I've met many, many people through my time on the show it's been been great to be you know brought in and, and, and be involved in that and some of the biggest activities the overseas adventures that they do the uh, the Nepal Christmas special which has just gone out um, out in Nepal for you know a couple of weeks working on that really really great to be on it and that was the stepping stone I suppose to 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 meet people and to progress into into this industry um, the trust that they put into us we and the first sort of like job where I stepped up a level was the probably about Ooh, 12 years ago maybe it was the Bugatti Veyron versus the Eurofighter oh, drag yeah. race down oh, the yeah. runways Memorable and one. that project came up um, and I just saw this gap I thought well everything's kind of booked the safety's organised the RAF but there's no one here to combine everything okay. so I went to the production I said look I'd like to I'll speak to the RAF I'll speak to these people speak to these people and we'll work out a plan for if it does go wrong uh, for what we're going to do mm. and that kind of trust was putting me to do that and that was kind of the first real um, job where I could upscale what I do and be that person in the middle to choreograph and coordinate the, the emergency response and the behind the scenes safety for it. Amazing, so you saw that gap and then yeah, yeah. decided to... Mm. Yeah, I kind of realised that there was this gap in the... A gap is a good word to describe it. There was this gap in the industry where there was various companies doing various things but no one kind of coordinated everything mm -hmm. and that's then where although 
I have what I do um, as my personal brand. I also have a business as well, which I'm the MD of, but there's various managers in that business. And that's obviously providing the ambulances, the fire engines, the specialist rescue vehicles. So that kind of covers that side of it. And then me personally, I then go off and do the, the safety side of it all. Okay, amazing. And you've got you've got a lot of gear as well, haven't you? In that guy, I've seen trucks yeah, and all yeah, kinds yeah, of stuff yeah. on social media. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you always one minute you're investing into one thing, and then it's another, even bigger. That's bigger, the bigger problem. Bridge. From a business perspective, people always joke I'm like the world's worst businessman because I just <laughs> love buying more vehicles, more kit, reinvesting the money into really cool. We just built an Arctic trucks converted pickup truck, which is this amazing looking off road four by four with all this special rescue equipment in it. Yeah, I do love all of the um, the Gucci vehicles and kit, <laughs> and uh, making sure that we've got all the right the right gear for the sort of projects we do. But more importantly, I have a real interest in the the brand behind it all. Make sure everything looks the part, and um, you know it's the showbiz industry. Somebody once said to me that this is the showbiz industry, and the emphasis is on the word show. Mm-hmm. And it's a great mm-hmm. piece of advice. That's a really yeah, mm-hmm. solid piece. And you got I saw a post actually on that recently. Is about the. The branding part is something that you're, like you said, really conscious of. Mm. But how long has it taken you to build the brand that you've got today? Yeah, um, the company, limited company side of it has been around 12 years. Mm. Um, there is, I know that people say you can have business plans and build a brand and blah, blah, blah. And I've seen so many people try and do it that way. But my way was different. I just kind of did what kind of what I felt worked. Mm-hmm. Back then, I couldn't get any form of loans either. So I had to, any money we made, I'd reinvest back into the oh, vehicles okay. and the kit. And we are where we are now. We still have no no debt as a company. So that's great, that side of stuff. What achievement. Um, that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah it's all owned out right. Man, that gives you a lot more freedom to just design things your way and to buy this or buy that or just do kind of what, what works. Um, and then the brand side of it as well, especially with social media as well, Anyone can, you can set up a business now. You don't need to spend loads of money on advertising campaigns and this and that. You've got Instagram, Facebook. Um, you know, you can even do Facebook targeted posts. You can have a Facebook page for your business and even like target exact potential clients that will see your post. It's anyone can do a business now. You don't need to do the whole te- way it was done years ago where you do a business studies course, you do a business plan and approach a bank for funding. Yeah. Things have changed and I like it. I like these new ways that people do things. Nice. And then do you find yourself using social media more and more as it's progressing? Are you getting yourself fully stuck into that world? And where are you seeing the big benefits for your well, personal side mm. or also your business side? Yeah. I mean, we our website, we haven't touched the website in years. And my personal brand <laughs> website, it just kind of just runs in the background. Mm. It's now all about the social media feeds that come off of that. Um and it's it's really interesting how people can can do all that and like hashtags and how you can jump on the back of a an event that's happened or you can tag a company and we did a post the other day and I tagged in um, Arctic Trucks who built our new vehicle they shared it on their social media we had thirty eight thousand interactions wow and it cost me three pounds to do the the targeting post upgrade to tag them into the post and then to do the boost the um, the Facebook boost that they do. Three pound, you get thirty eight thousand interactions. That's for buck, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, but it kind of ties in as well with the people that we work with. Um, um, uh, if we do like a Facebook um, advert or something like that, um, or YouTube or online content, I'd say about a third of what we do now is online content. Whereas years ago, it was just television commercials. So now, instead of there being like a television commercial that costs maybe a hundred thousand pound, they'll maybe do ten ten thousand pound smaller YouTube virals which kind of 
get that reach differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it. I like being part of this new way that marketing is done. I think if I was going to do it all again, I'd probably get into marketing and advertising. I just love the whole that side of it all. I've kind of learned a lot about it over the years just by seeing the people that I work with who are so professional in what they do and learning their their ways of doing stuff. Cool. And then, I mean, so your clients, you mentioned Top Gear. Just run us through some of the other people that you've worked with and projects you've, you've been on. Okay. Um, I suppose we could put it into different categories. If it was films, um, we've done Fast and Furious, Mission Impossible, wow. just wrapped on the latest Bond movie, which was really great for our Amazing. team to be involved Amazing, in. Yeah. Um, and then we've then got uh, television shows, obviously Top Gear, we've got um, EastEnders, Holby City, all the normal BBC and, and TV shows that you see. Then we have the motorsport side of it as well. So work with British touring cars, work with what I really like working with is the the Monster Energy and the Red Bull activities, Jim Carner Grid, um, the uh, Red Bull Drift Shifters events. They're very new, different ways of motorsport being done. So love working with those sorts of clients. Um, and then online content, YouTubers, um, weird and wonderful commercials and events, uh, live events it will pop up. The F1 live event we did was pretty, pretty amazing. You know, had a phone call. We'd like to shut down Whitehall and Trafalgar Square and then run uh, all the F1 cars and all the F1 drivers through the streets of London for you know a live event three days before the British Grand Prix. And can you come and speak to the council and kind of make it make it happen? So Amazing. projects like that, love it. It's great. Yeah, I mean, yeah. some real big names there and sounds like dream, mm. dream job stuff there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also, we do like, we can do like big high profile things like that and then we might get a, 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 an online commercial come up. We did one for, for Corvette a few years ago. Uh, Corvette through the mountains in Switzerland with two wingsuit flyers chasing it in wingsuits through the mountains at the same time. So suddenly you'll get weird and wonderful projects like that come up. Um, and, and then you'll get through the people that we know through working with various stunt teams and stunt coordinators on the TV shows. You kind of, we've got a great relationship with them. There was a stunt coordinator, a guy called Gary Connery, did the uh, the wingsuit landing. He wanted to be the first person to ever land a wingsuit. So it was like a huge, wow. massive load of boxes, probably about eighth of a mile of boxes stacked up. Mm, and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, Gary jumped out of a helicopter, wingsuited down, live on Sky News. Um, I want no pressure. Was, no pressure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was good because... Slight delay on that, maybe. Well, <laughs> so Sky News were doing it. He was going to abort the first jump mm. and he was going to come down. So Sky News were broadcasting live on the what's going to be the practice. And we could see Gary coming down and we're looking up and we're seeing this wingsuit. It's getting closer and closer. And we thought, OK, he's coming. He's going to pull his chute and abort and then he'll do it for the next one. And then suddenly it's like, no, he's going to... He's going to land it on this one, but Sky News—they're broadcasting live, and we're like, because if you think if you're coming down in a wingsuit, um, and you, you've got to shoot just in case. But once you're below that ceiling, you then got to commit in. Yeah. So a, he yeah. went below that, and we're like, he's going in. He's going to do it on the first one, and in he went over the top of the boxes, and boom, into a box rig. Um, the first person to successfully land a wingsuit. Um, it's amazing, amazing stuff. Yeah. yeah. And we, we actually worked together with, with Gary on the Twickenham Big yeah. Game 9, right? Yeah, yeah, the same guy. Same yeah. guy. Yeah. So how much yeah, how much of your job is doing stuff that yeah, really hasn't been done before? And then if that is the case, I mean, where do you start with that? Like, yeah. yeah, what do you do when it hasn't been done before? And you, it's, it's the unknown, right? Yeah, definitely. So that project, how many years ago was that? That was... That'd be two, three years ago, maybe. I think it was more than that. Is it? Really? It oh, was... Long. 
Yeah, so that was we we did the base jump into Twickenham Stadium exactly to that, deliver yeah. the rugby ball. Wasn't that was it. it. For a, yeah, for the ball the, delivery. Yeah, the Boxing Day big um, big game night. Yeah, they, yeah. They, it was big game nine, but it's big game, and then every every year a different yeah. Big nine, but it's between that um, Christmas New Year period. It's a yeah, yeah, big event where the Saracens come rolling That's into it. Twickenham Stadium. Yeah. So the problem with that type of activity is straight away people at the stu- at the um, at the stadium. The, the stakeholders in the event, they're hearing base jump, which straight away yeah. conjures up yeah, and we deal bad with thoughts. This kind because, of thing a lot, yeah. yeah, statistically, there is, you know, things do go wrong with they're base jumping. Yeah. There's ironically, there is a website, a whole website on base jumping statistics or when they go wrong. So when you're doing the risk <laughs> assessment, you've actually got the exact information oh, wow. that you need to know. Helpful, but probably scary yeah, to yeah. look at. Yeah. <laughs> but what's good is there's, it also lists the safest ways and the least safest ways that they can be done. So, We've got to be quite open with um, the client and the, the location on what we're doing and explain, look, this is what's going to happen. And straight away, they are terrified. And you've mm-hmm. got their health and safety department um, and all the people there really quite worried because we were going to do it live as well. And it was a fully packed Twickenham Stadium, wasn't it? it was yeah. Like, yeah it was, so you imagine yeah. if that base jump goes wrong in front of all those people. So you've got so many things to think about in the back of your head, the continuity of the event, the um, the actual activity we're doing, how we're going to choreograph it, uh, what we're going to do at what time. If something goes wrong, what do we do? You know, if it did go wrong, it's pretty obvious it's gone wrong on that. There's no hiding that. Like, yeah, yeah, we couldn't say he's all fine. Um, so there's all that thing to go to go into the planning for it all. So with that one, we we went there in the evening, didn't we? When we did that a practice it, yeah, jump, we and we practice, got yeah. all the people there, and we explained to them, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do a practice and show you how it all works. So we had it all in place. We then got um, a guy I work with quite a lot, Dave Emerson, who is a an aerial stunt coordinator. So he just works on parachute related and wingsuit stunts. Ironically, he is the guy who um, Dark Knight Rises, Christopher Nolan movie. You know the opening scene with the plane heist, and they pull the bring the people to the door of the plane. Yeah, yeah. So he's yeah, the guy yeah, yeah. with the sack over his head, the first guy that goes to the no door. Way. Yeah, no. Dave, Dave Emerson. Um, he used to test parachutes for a living and it test ejector seats, which wow. is... you got to have some big, yeah, big balls yeah. to do that. <laughs> 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 Stomach for that. I don't yeah, 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 think yeah, yeah. I'll be That's that kind job. of, I'll do certain things, but I won't <laughs> test an ejector seat. But yeah, so we brought Dave on board to kind of like be the person at the top um, with Gary for the jump. And then my role is to... So it's kind of to smooth things over to make sure that everyone's happy with what's going on, to make sure we've got the behind-the-scenes safety in place. We, have we got an ambulance? Do we know the escape routes? Have we got, um, for people that are filming at the top, let's put them in a harness. So it's just to run the behind-the-scenes safety coordination for what's going on. And then Dave will then work direct with Gary on the actual activity. So I'm kind of like a, a I don't know, a, a facilitator, I suppose, mm-hmm. to kind of make sure that everything's all in place behind the scenes. So we did the the practice jump and it went absolutely perfect. Uh, did a risk assessment, submitted that to the location. Had a couple of meetings with them explaining this is what we want to do, and yeah, we can be massively open and say these are the risks. But if it does go wrong, this is what we're going to do. Mm. The difficulty is with this, and also with working with a lot of the stunt teams, is they have to be very positive and very confident with what they do because that's their livelihood. And also, yeah. when we go to a client, we have to be positive. But my job is to look at the behind the scenes, what is go- what we're going to do if this does go wrong. Mm-hmm. So, And you also can't, if someone is getting ready to do a big stunt or a big activity like that, you've got to be very careful how you word things with them mm-hmm. because they need to be confident and positive in what they're about to do. 
but they know deep down as well the reality of it going wrong as mm -hmm. well. So we kind of had all those conversations early on, and then on the actual day, which I think was boxing, it was Boxing Day, wasn't it? it, was it. Yeah, you're day. right. Yeah, yeah. So we had it all planned. But the other thing is, running in the background of that, is the live event side of it. And it was a huge live event that people are kind of looking at. And we've got exact times to follow as well. So we've got to have mm -hmm. everything has got to be perfectly rehearsed and choreographed to work just at the right times. We got permission to do it. And then on the, on the actual event, suddenly it was um, Twickenham Stadium fully packed. And I think there was something announced over the tannoy that they'd forgot to bring the ball or something like that. And then out of nowhere, someone jumps off the the roof of Twickenham Stadium, pulls a parachute, glides in and hands, hands the ball over. It's, it's Seamless. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like. And that's the sort of project I love getting involved in. Weird, wonderful things that people say can't be done and you shouldn't do and have got that element of um, uh, illegalness and mm. sort of like um, there's a bit of an illegality around it. Yeah, the well, we can go in yeah. and say, well, yeah, but let's look at ways we can make it happen mm. um, and we can pull this off safely yeah and i think from my side obviously saw you guys operate and it was yeah all that stuff you don't appreciate that goes into it mm. um yeah so rehearsed knew exactly what what you'd do in in that bad circumstance how much of it do you find that yeah because it was for me it was the first time really seeing the amount of thought that goes into something that nobody will hopefully ever see how much of what you do um do you have to prep all this stuff and actually everything hopefully goes goes as planned and then isn't action from your side, I suppose. Yeah. Um, do you find that there's people don't often appreciate how much work goes into what you do? Or? Yeah, I, I find that on a lot of the things we do as well, it will go out. And I always feel that sometimes people should watch a behind the scenes on how something mm. was filmed to truly appreciate it. I mean, I didn't, I didn't work on it, but 1917 has just come out. And all the behind the scenes... Um, filming that's on YouTube on how it was all done is amazing. Yeah. But some people are just going to the cinema and watching the film, and I think, no, 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 you should have to sit for two hours and watch how this was done because it's so technical and how it's all done. Then you'll really appreciate um, the, you know, the film even more. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's like that with so much things that we do that you do them, you just think people don't really know what has gone in, they just assume how this was done. Whereas in reality, there's so much has gone in behind the scenes. But I think that's good with uh, with YouTube especially, because now you'll do a film and a couple of weeks before, they'll release some behind the scenes on how it was all done, on how the activities mm -hmm. were carried out. And the film publicity departments will do it to create interest and intrigue and about the film, which is great. But also it then shows people this is this is how it was done. And especially with... I think back in the 90s when we started using CGI, people were like, this is great. We don't you know, need to do dangerous things. We can put mm -hmm. an explosion here and this. Mm -hmm. But now all the big movies want to do the opposite. Mm -hmm. They don't want CGI. They want it all real because it looks real. And also um, they can then release a lot of behind the scenes to show, yeah, we did this for real. This is, you know, this is what the, the stunt team actually came up with this, worked with special effects and made this happen real, not green screen, which is yeah. great. I think as you kind of said there, it's the, the studio is now wanting to move back towards using sort of live action elements, a bit of explosions, a bit of car crashes and stuff like this. But at the same time, we're seeing an increase in green screens within movies. What's your kind of experience of working within that sort of realm? And, you know, what's it like for starters? Mm. Um, green screen is great. I did a film years ago called Jupiter Ascending. Um, I worked for the stunt department. So I was a safety advisor for the stunt department mm -hmm. on that. 
it's a lot of green screen. Mm. It's real action. What you're actually seeing is real, but obviously you can't build a massive spaceship prop and have it, you know, sat. It's you're in space. It's huge. You've got to have that element of it. But the attention to detail on that. Uh, one of the things on Jupiter Ascending, there was a bit where, come on, the actor, I think it was, was it Chris Hemsworth was in that? Is it Channing Tatum? Channing Tatum, yeah. yeah. So there's a bit where he's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a bit on that where he is um, flying through the air on a green screen on a wire. Mm. But they even put um, the stunt team on it, so into their, their wires and how they, they did all the activities. And they had a green screen, um, sort of like a ramp, so that when he went around, his feet were supposed to be on these like rocket jet type things. Mm. And his feet are on the green screen ramp. And it was so that when you see it on the film, his leg muscles are flexing and are pushing because his um, rocket boosters on his legs are what is pushing him. Wow, yeah. So we've actually flipped him around and he's coming down this ramp on roller skates, which later on, when it's all CGI, they will put uh, rocket mm. packs on his feet or something. But even so, his leg muscles and everything looks exactly like that. So. There's so much attention to detail is, wow. is put in. Even if it is a green screen, it can be used to to assist. But then mm. the other side, the, the more car chase type activities, which I've got involved with in recent years. Um, yeah, I mean, like Mission Impossible is yeah, kind yeah. Of probably then the opposite end of the spectrum where yeah. Tom Cruise <laughs> yeah. is sat there wanting to do all his own stunts. How does that? Yeah, exactly. So I remember saying on Mission Impossible 5, uh, we did the motorbike chase in Morocco in the mountains. And I remember speaking to the second unit director of that, and I said to him, we're doing this real speed, real time. Do we, have to, do we need to be at these speeds? And he mm -hmm. said, yes, it, it has to be done this way. And I said to him, I'm only asking you because if it goes wrong, this is what we'll be asked in court or something. Yeah. He's like, no, we have to have that real speed. And then um, him, so um, he then worked as a stunt coordinator called Wade Eastwood, who does a lot of the big Mission Impossible stuff. And Wade is like the top of his industry and what he does um wade will then work with tc to make it you know absolutely perfect and choreographed we'd be up in the mountains and tom's there doing the activities for real no crash helmet um and what you see on film is it is, is the real thing they are the real speeds it has to look that way we even rehearsed and in, in that chase he's wearing like a red like a funny red shirt and it's like flapping in the wind we even right. worked out I think the um, the costume department worked out the best type of shirt to have that would flap in the wind just the right way to look good on camera. And oh wow! There's mm -hmm. the the attention to detail that's put into those sort of chases. I think Morocco was it's about six weeks we did out there on the car chase at Morocco, um, which has got so many elements to add to it. It's not just the chase. You're in you're in that country. You're in the mountains. Yeah. You've got local. Um, uh, cultural issues around what you're doing you've got people it's a, a huge huge thing to, to plan although people just think of the special effects stunt and camera department how they're doing it behind the scenes catering you've suddenly got to find food for 300 crews sort of thing it's mm. it's just a massive thing to plan and and to be part of um which is which is cool and it's very lucky for me given the choice i would always work on a second unit of a film over main unit main unit you're doing you're speaking dialogue scenes with your actors. Second unit, you've got the stunt doubles. Right. Um, it's a lot more informal. Um, you're not whispering all the time because there's very little talking going on. It's real action that you're working on. So working on a second unit is it's really, really cool to, to work on something like that, definitely. And then how much, so you just mentioned like six weeks out there dealing with all those different pieces. How much 
pressure is on your shoulders at that stage or how much pressure do you feel when you're working on mm. that that must be so each department has got different levels of pressure and what they're doing and the head of each department has got to be massively on top of what they do because as i say you've got so many departments to get that that one shot of what they're doing um so you don't want to mess up because this is your opportunity you're working on a tom cruise movie mm-hmm. you know? so there is that kind of there is that pressure there is that pressure there uh, I remember when we started doing, you do a lot of testing. So you, we were going to various race circuits and Tom was testing cars and bikes and the stunt team were rehearsing what they do. And there's so much going on to kind of, so before you even leave the UK and go to the location, you've rehearsed a great deal of what you do. I remember one of the first days, the heads of the department were all in a circle and Tom was asking each person what they do on the film and what their role is. He wanted to meet all the people that were working on it. And as he's going around the circle, I'm kind of going around the back of everyone because <laughs> so, like, I didn't want, didn't want him to get to me but it's um hiding away yeah yeah but there is that there is that pressure on those sort of things but yeah. it's a it's a mission possible movie with someone like Tom Cruise who's going to have that huge attention to detail and that you know that drive and that passion to do things so well so you you know you, you do feel it yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and it's ultimately the reason films like that are so yeah. successful is that attention to detail that sets it apart from yeah. your kind of average action film so exactly i know we we're talking about sort of yeah tom cruise is renowned for being doing his own stunts he has done for years do you encounter many of the sort of big hollywood actors who are doing that now or is it still quite a sort of rare thing to see within those top top actors i think um tom is the one who would want to do it a lot more than everyone else. Cool, so it yeah, stands um, out. Yeah, and then you do get other other films where lead cast do want to do a little bit of it, mm. but then you get some and they're 100%, they're like, whoa, no. <laughs> and, and some second units, you might not even get any of the cast with you at all. It's all just stunt doubles. Mm. Um, and it's the same in television as well. You can get some people in television that really want to be involved and do what they do. We've just done um, a project with Idris Elba, and he massively, I'd never worked with him before, mm met him on this project he really wants to to be doing the activities to be you know pushing it and and doing the actual the more higher risk things but then if you step back a bit for me what my job is i might be having to speak to an insurance company or to lawyers and Mm. to kind of think well if he gets hurt um who's going to come in and replace him and so it's kind of at the same time you can't be the grass as well you know yeah how much more difficult does that make your job and then also do you have to be the bad guy and then what Mm. Have you been um, in situations where you kind of got to say, look, we just can't do this? Or Yeah, it's, it's more, it's probably more in TV projects when it happens. And, and as you say, being the bad guy, it's, my job is quite easy. I, I can just be black and white. I can just say, that's, that's that, or that's that. That's the reality <laughs> behind it all. But you have to be careful because you can be a bit too sort of like blunt with your, with your answers to it. So right. you've got to kind of find that happy medium and that's where with my with my background and what I do and understanding um, the reality of these things I can say to people look we can do it that way but if we wait for a couple more days and we speak to this person or there's been a few times we've kind of planned to do things one way and then when it actually happens on the day it's like this is a lot more risky Mm -hmm. than we were going to do it we need to stop we need to go and speak to a special effects advisor and a stunt coordinator and bring on some people and do it because we're going to start hurting people if we don't do it properly. So it is difficult in my role to be that, what's the word? Not the bad guy, but the the fun police sometimes. Yeah, I suppose. The fun police, yeah. 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 There's a reason <laughs> behind it. Yeah, you know, there's a I reason mean, yeah. behind why I'm yeah, saying to people, look guys, you know, we're going to hurt someone, especially 
what's interesting is is when you're doing it for um, on a commercial or some online content and there's a company that's putting the money into making this um, advert or something, it's different then because that's who looks bad. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? So you've yeah. got to kind of like think, well, we need to let the client know what we're doing. Because it won't be this little small 10-person production company that's going to look wrong. It's going to be this massive yeah. global brand that we're working with or something like that. And I've noticed as well that when we work with big American brands, they're very... Um, what's the word, protective of, of what happens and they understand as well. So they're higher up in the, the chains of their command. They're thinking about, oh, I'm on the ground thinking about if this person gets hurt, it's going to break an arm, we need to do this, we need to do that. How do we get, if someone falls off this now, our nearest hospital is 20 miles away, have we got a helicopter, blah, blah, blah. Mm. People higher up the chain are thinking, how will this affect share prices? Mm. Um, their yeah. mindset is very different because that's the in the part of the sector that they're in whereas I'm at the bottom of it thinking in a different way so mm. it does often happen where you need to start thinking even down to things like press releases if you do a big live stunt for a, a car launch or something like that you're going to launch a new car to the world um, you need to think right if something does go wrong what's our press release going to be who are we going to speak yeah. to which lawyer needs to na- announce this which news agency have we got to release this statement to so there's all of that to start thinking I'm about thinking as well. the tesla the latest tesla release <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where they smashed yeah, yeah. those windows i mean that yeah that didn't really go according to plan did it no yeah i was watching that it's works in their favor though you've not seen the t-shirts he's released <laughs> well, with the broken window yeah. on. he's making money from a failure so whatever he does <laughs> will always work out right exactly him, doesn't it? I mean. yeah yeah it's fascinating do you see the um the rocket launch at the weekend. They yeah, the is, this the, is it Dragon something, isn't it? Yeah, Dragon yeah. Crew capsule. Yeah, yeah that's fifty-two amazing, million. That explosion was a fifty-two million dollar explosion. Wow! Because they have to, um, de- they have to prove that the crew pod can escape a detonating rocket. Mm. So that was a um, a test to mm. show that it can. So now they can now put people in it. So that's oh, what I'd love to do. Safety for blowing up 50 million pound rockets and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's not yeah, a bad yeah. project to be on, is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, have you got a bit of an interest for that sort of stuff as well? Because oh, I've seen you, yeah, I've seen you going down, um, trying, the stealth bomber you were recently. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I just right? love, I think I'm a failed fighter pilot. If I was going to do it again, I'd love right. to be like a fighter pilot or an astronaut, but I don't think everyone wants to be an astronaut, don't they? But it's... Um, <laughs> well, apparently well, everybody wants to be a YouTuber Yeah, tell days. me about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you say to the kid now, do you want to be an astronaut? And it's like, no, I want to go and hold a GoPro and talk in front of a camera and put it on yeah. YouTube. It's like, what? Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, that sort of stuff. Love it, love it. Stealth bombers, fighter planes, you know, rockets. It's, it's cool. I did a job with Top Gear about four years ago. We did um, a road trip across Kazakhstan. Wow. We had Matt LeBlanc, Rory and Chris doing that one. Oh, so the new crew, right? Yeah. Yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. Well, the, the crew in the middle. Wow, well, yeah, true, yeah. The three, then those, then... But that was um, like this road trip across Kazakhstan. I think it's like the third biggest country in the world. Yeah, huge. And uh, we had these various vehicles we were taking across, but the end, the final part of the film was at the Cosmodrome, mm. where we actually watched a rocket launch go to the International Space Station, which was... Mm one of the most amazing things I've ever seen, seeing a proper rocket launch going to space. Absolutely, you can't put it into words. Like real bucket list kind of stuff. Oh man, yeah. it's just unbelievable. And then we obviously we've been driving across the desert for days and days and you get to this, it's weird, it's like, um, it's like a Russian space station, mm. but it's in Kazakhstan. But it's like the size of London sort of thing. It's that big, because right, Kazakhstan really? is so big. And it's just this Russian city in the middle of the Kazakhstan desert. And the reason why is because if Russia launches their rockets in Russia and they mm. come down, they're going to hit 
people and towns and stuff. So Russia have got this little area of Kazakhstan, Blimey. and if it comes down, it's just desert. It's nothing for it to hit. So there it is. But um, yeah, seeing that was one of the one of the perks of the job, definitely. Mm. Rocket launch, amazing to watch. And you, I mean, you, you get to see some amazing places. You're away for long periods of time. How does that go down with yeah. family, wife, mm. kids, that sort of thing? And it, it, it affects you personally as well. It affects your um, your health. It's it's my fault, I know. I do one job, jump on a plane, do another job. I've done two jobs in Australia in the same week before. It is possible. Mm. Did a job in Australia, flew back, did a job in Poland, got a phone call. There's a job in Australia. I was like, I was just, just there two days ago. I went back to Australia again. <laughs> so in seven days, I went to Australia twice. Mm. And to be fair, I actually just drunk gin and tonic and watched loads of movies. But, you know, it's kind of not, not all bad. <laughs> Living but, a good life, yeah. yeah. But it does take its toll on you, the, the jet lag side of stuff, the waking up in a hotel room and just thinking, what? Where am I? What country am I in? And I've had it so many times as well where you get in a hire car, um, at a hotel and you have to stop and go what side of the road am i driving on yeah. and i've had it before i once flew to glasgow for a job in scotland hired a car because i got off a plane and got a hire car my mind is telling me you were bored you're on the other <laughs> side of the road <laughs> but i'm still in the uk so i remember pulling out the car park and like whoop nope <laughs> wrong side so yeah that side of it, it is it's not ideal because you just the, the jet lag not last year, but the year before, some like 38 long haul flights in a year. Wow. And that was interesting. Mm. And even like the temperature side of things, I did a job in Finland, uh, it was a TV show. Uh, no, it wasn't, it was a commercial for Land Rover, and that was minus 38. And I went from Finland to, I think it's Finland to Denmark, and then a flight from Denmark to Dubai or something. Mm. But then suddenly yeah. you, no, was it? No, South Africa, South Africa, down to, um, right into the you know the hot areas of south africa a place called ceres and that was plus well it was more than plus 50 because my thermometer only goes up to 50 so i got wow. the 50 and it shut down so i've gone from minus 38 to plus 50 something in the space of 24 hours i mean how do you pack a bag for that oh like, yeah, that's, yeah, 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 yeah that's it it's kind of like living out of a bag but mm. it's like i got there and everyone's like dude why, why are you sweating so much like, just come from in northern what's it called the arctic circle um so yeah, it does happen, but that yeah, I've just got two massive bags and just kind of live out of them and hotel laundry sometimes. Mm. But it, um, yeah, it's it is tough sometimes. But what helps is loving doing what I do, loving the industry I'm in, and sometimes even looking forward to it. And a little thing I do as well that I really look forward to is I, if I'm doing a lot of long haul flights, I will plan what films I'm going to watch, and then I even plan what drink I will have for that film. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of a like, detail, man. I yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll, so I'll actually think, right, well, if I'm watching a thinking film, I'll have a whiskey and coke. And then I'm going to watch a funny film after that, so I'll have a gin and tonic. And I kind of like synchronize it exactly. <laughs> and that's the perks to it, having those times you just sat on a plane watching films and have, having a beer. Um, and then every now and again, you get days off and get to, we had days off in LA before, which has been amazing to have, you know, three or four days off in LA, days off in Dubai. Um, go to the mall and stuff, things that you wouldn't normally get to do. And, and you know, you're, you're, you're paid a travel day for these days off. So there are perks to it sometimes and things like that, definitely. Brilliant. And I mean, how much, yeah, I mean, what's the most amazing place you've been to and how much do you then actually get to experience yeah. these places when you're there as well? Because 
something I experience a lot with the travel that I do. People think you're basically going on holiday all the time and getting to just go to these beautiful places and enjoy them for what a tourist would yeah. versus when you're actually there working. Exactly. And that's why I was saying about that Australia the second time. Mm. Second time I was working in Melbourne, um, Speedway, Grand Prix, um, big live motorsport event. It was just like being in the UK. There was a Starbucks, there's a North Face shop. There's, <laughs> you know, it was like, oh, fly in, do this, fly home. It, it isn't really any benefit to it. But then other times you work in really wonderful places. And yeah. I love working in the States. So I love LA. I just, everything about it is just such a cool place to, to work. Mm. But I think my, my favorite places are kind of like strange, weird and wonderful places. Like um, there's a place in, I think it's Uzbekistan. It's uh, the boatyard at the Aral Sea. And it's a, the tide went out years ago and never came back. And it left ships in what is now a desert. So you've got a massive open desert with ships in it, rotting ships. Mm. And it's kind of like a science fiction movie. You almost think, if one of your mates got massively drunk, you want to go in there (laughs) and then just run (laughs) off. And he'd wake up in the morning and go, I'm in a desert with ships. How weird is this? But it's, um, it's the most surreal, weird place. A massive open desert with massive rotting ships everywhere. Places like that are really, really awesome to experience. Um, South Africa, quite like South Africa. It's quite a, if you like eating meat, South Africa's mm. great because it's just blooming you know, loads and loads of meat everywhere. Yeah. Um, the deserts, Africa itself, it's an amazing place. I did a job in Ethiopia, uh, that was Top Gear um, last year. Ethiopia, all the crew that we work with, we used to go into these weird and wonderful places around the world. We went to Ethiopia and all of us were just in awe of Ethiopia, of how beautiful, people will say about people are great around the world, but mm. the people met in Ethiopia were so wonderful people. Um, just the, the place was just an unbelievable place to visit, you know, and also it's the birthplace of humankind, which is yeah. pretty, pretty cool. You know, it's where humans mm. started is Ethiopia. Yeah. It doesn't get much cooler than that. Mm. And yeah, I think I'd say Ethiopia, I reckon is my favorite Awesome. place that I've I've been to but then the other side of it I then say New York when you're filming in New York that's also pretty mm-hmm. pretty cool so it's kind of two massively different places mm. but yeah but I suppose that's almost where a lot of the, the beauty of the job comes is you get that complete range of places and that complete range of work that you get to do yeah you get to work on really and then yeah. what's, what's the worst I suppose yeah don't, don't want to shame <laughs> oh, anywhere the worst <laughs> place um <laughs> No, actually, worst place. I kind of like all the places. I think I can think of worst jobs I've done, which is yeah. things like I once um, a job came in and I couldn't do it. And I got one of the guys that works for us. He went and covered it, and that was a job in Barbados. Meanwhile, the job I was doing was in an underground car park in um, Warsaw, in Poland. So we were like doing nights in an underground car park for a week. Oh wow! You know, in minus God knows whatever it is, knowing that Rich is over in um, <laughs> Barbados. Yeah, it's know. not all glitz and glamour. Yeah, yeah, living the dream. Um, so yeah, but no, worst places, no, I kind of, um, it's places I've been to and I've been disappointed with and I've mm-hmm. kind of thought to myself, I like, remember doing a job in Albania and like the litter situation in Albania, you've never seen yeah, anything really quite like it. A, a beautiful mountain ranges, but mm-hmm. you've never seen so much litter everywhere. Just everything is a mess. Just Blimey. And it, you just think, how is this ever going to get cleaned up? Um, yeah, Albania was quite a, it could have been beautiful, it's just, I mean, litter everywhere, absolutely everywhere. Mm. Um, you just, and, and there's no bins as well, which is kind of weird. 
because you have like a can of Coke and then you, you might have a plastic bag and you're putting all your rubbish mm. in the plastic bag, but then you've got nowhere to put the plastic bag because there was no bins anywhere. So after a while, it's kind of, we were doing, we had police roadblocks, so we actually work with Albanian police. And the first couple of days you have a can of Coke and you just discreetly put it on the floor and walk mm. away. Then towards the end of the week, imagine just chatting to a copper, finishing a can of drink and just chucking it over your shoulder and carrying on because <laughs> there's nowhere to put it. There is no rubbish bins. Madness. It's kind of, yeah, yeah strange one. And then what are some of the sort of worst situations that you found yourself in? Or some of the most challenging, we can say? Yeah, yeah, challenging. I think the challenging, not problem, because problems are great, because it means that we have to then make a living out of finding solutions, <laughs> I suppose. But yeah. the, what comes up a lot is when we're doing something, the creative industry, films, TV, um, online content, virals, events, it's creative. Things happen fast and quick and you can only plan for so much. Mm. So you have to kind of um, be fast on your feet. So you can do some, and when those things happen, it can put a dampener on on things because what you're doing is so unplanned and you've really got to kind of like rehearse it. But it's very rare that a project's going actually go wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, we can do an entire second unit on a movie. Um, massive, big sort of like car stunts and explosions. And you'd think it's massively, you know, people get hurt all the time. And nine times out of ten, it's all it's all good. People will walk away, and it's because it's all so well planned, and so much budget has been put into doing things so properly. You know, proper roll cages, seats, um, special effects, designing a ramp to do this, and you know, the budget allocate to have a proper safety team, and and, and that's great. Um, so that side of it is 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 really good, and it's so rare. But then when things do go wrong, they can go wrong quite quite big style and yeah. you know there's been various things in the press in recent years of um, things going wrong in the industry mm. um, and with motorsport events as well I'd say motorsport events is where things go wrong the most right okay, because because of what it is mm -hmm. um, when I was I spent three years as the safety advisor of a Speedway Grand Prix so I was across the world Speedway is some of the toughest bike riders you've ever met and every event you've got some big massive crashes happening those guys are so tough i think speedway riders are probably the toughest athletes that you'll ever meet and it's ironic because when like a, you'll see a moto gp rider meet a speedway rider <laughs> and they've got massive respect for the speedway rider really wow. they're, they're not on massive money either these guys mm. um a lot of times they'll drive their own vans and get their kit and they're like you know top of their game but they're proper tough in what they do and we've had all sorts of so I spent three years on the championship and a couple of guys who had people break their backs and stuff and that's mm. when Man. serious stuff happens but um but that is part of most sport that's part of the thrill the thrill of it so you just got to make sure that everything's in place behind the scenes to to mitigate these problems when they happen yeah that's when we hope you're around and yeah and well that's kind of what us, I yeah. do but that goes back to me saying about my job is to deal with the negative side mm. of, of things which is mm. difficult in an industry that's really creative so yeah yeah and then sort of going off that point, as you said, you've almost got to focus on the negative aspects of it. So naturally, you've got to be a bit of a pessimist. Do you find that is something that you end up sort of approaching general life with? Or do you find that you can separate that work sort of pessimism through just your own personal optimism, optimism slash mm. pessimism? It's a good question. Um, no, I think it's sort of, it's, it's kind of what I know about. So I can treat life in the same way that mm. I can treat work. Um, yeah, it's it's a similar sort of thing. Mm. Um, but I think it all comes down to what my 
background is that's what's taught me to yeah kind of do what i do and i can have people say oh, i can't do that it's massively dangerous and it's like it's not actually that dangerous it's mm. kind of <laughs> if you look at it this way and do it like that and we get these people to do this mm. i meet a lot of people who are very afraid of of risk understandably mm-hmm. and afraid of um pushing the boundaries of what can be done then i also meet a lot of people who are the opposite who want to push the boundaries and do people base jumping into Twickenham yeah, Stadium exactly. in front of yeah. 80,000 people live <laughs> uh, who want to push things. And that's the things that excite me when we do start mm-hmm. to push the boundaries of what people say you shouldn't do and you can't do. And it's like, well, you know, we, we're going to do it this way. And we've looked at every way possible to make it safe. And we've got the right people involved. Mm. And I mean, so anybody that wants to get into this and do what you do, what would your advice be? And um, would you recommend it as well? Yeah, it's... um. The, the industry I'm in is a very strange industry. That's just it. And it's kind of, I don't think, I think most people in this industry have just fallen into it. I don't think anyone kind of leaves school and says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, so many people that I work with that just happen to, to drop into this industry. I think motorsport side of what we do, yeah, people will be coached and will work that way towards doing that. But the more um, sort of like live events and um, action and the, films and the tv show side of it it's quite difficult to get into because you've got to kind of like know someone who knows someone to trust you to come on board mm. um and you couldn't just say i'm going to go and do this or i'm going to go and work for these film or i'm going to work on that you kind of need to have people that you know that can put a word in for you um and kind of give you that opportunity to to prove yourself yeah and then i mean stepping away a little bit from the professional you let's get into the more personal you passions those kind of things i mean i see a lot about nice cars um <laughs> that is my passion yeah, yeah, yeah i mean just yeah tell us a bit more about kind of what you do personally for passion and just yeah your yeah, life yeah. outside of work well i think that's why i kind of do what i do because i love cars i love fast cars i love motorsport that's kind of my what, what my interest mm-hmm. is um I and think you've had, well, had a fair share of nice ones as well. Oh, right? I can't help myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing. When you're sort of like getting on a plane at four o'clock in the morning to go to somewhere else and you're doing this, you're doing ridiculous hours, you need that thing that's your, you know, your, your drive to, to make yeah. you do it. So, yeah, I've got, um, what have I got at the moment? I was on a track day yesterday. I did a track day. I've got an M3 track day car, which was on a, was it, um, a Snetterton race circuit yesterday. So I do quite a lot of motorsport activities still now because that then helps me to understand what cars can do, what they can't do. And then if we're doing big live motorsport events right, and stuff, okay, although yeah. I'm the safety advisor, I'm the safety advisor actually understands how that yeah. car does what it does. And mm. we will put a barrier there. We won't do this, etc. So I've got, uh, yeah, got the M3 track car, got a, what else have we got? I've got the McLaren, which is yeah, what I absolutely the, adore. The white beauty, um, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty nuts getting that. That's like... Yeah, it's just weird having something like that and like coming out of a petrol station and I'm wearing a pair of Crocs and a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and <laughs> people stood around taking a picture of the car and you're like, excuse me, can I do And they're like, oh, I'm just getting a picture first. And it's like, no, it's, it's, it's mine. mine. So, yeah, exactly. so it's always a bit weird trying to kind of having something like that. And I had a I had a Ferrari before that. I remember at a petrol station, someone saying to me, is it fake? And I was like, 
yeah yeah he's like oh i knew it was fake because of the exhaust sound i was like oh you got me yeah it's like it's actually that, a real yeah, one that's... but it's kind of like, it's just easier for me just to nod and go yeah it's a fake one yeah. um yeah it's got that um Love got it. a mx5 drift car that i'm building for my youngest son at the moment so awesome. kind of building yeah, him a race car that's, yeah, it's amazing, pretty cool. yeah that's gonna be great for him yeah that's no, great what else is there yeah um, a porsche as well right oh uh, yeah the gt3 which i didn't really connect with I had a Porsche GT3 didn't have some problem like engine blow oh, up or something yeah like, all know, sorts of things but what happened was I was working on a TV show and we had a blue 911 GT3 on the TV show and we're miles away and I'd been on the go for like three months and I was like god that car's awesome and I was like I want one so I started like looking at buying one before I even got back to the UK wow. because I'd been away and it's kind of like had the money in the bank to kind of put towards the finance and I was so I kind of did it without really thinking because when you're away you just need that I mean, that's the best way to buy a car, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah, don't yeah. Think the about wife it can't say it. no yeah. at that stage yeah. either, right? Yeah. I always say to people, people say about cars, say, oh, you know, you're going to lose money on this. And it's like, I don't buy a car to make money. If I want to make yeah. money, I buy a house. Yeah. You know, for me, cars are what I love. Doing that, exactly. Yeah. And that's where the McLaren, I did 203 mile an hour in it a couple of months ago. It's wow. amazing. We do a lot of the top speed um, activities. I've done them in sort of Australia and America and... Um, but there's a big top speed event called v- uh, VMAX that runs in the UK and yeah. I have to look after the safety for those guys. Um, so yeah, I had my car and I thought, might as well just do it myself. So went out and did two or three. Like? Oh, it's kind of, sounds really obvious, but everything goes really quickly past you, which I know <laughs> sounds so obvious, but yeah. what's weird is your mind, when you come off a motorway at say 70 miles an hour and you come off the slip right up to the roundabout, you don't look at the speedo, you know speed and gears mm. and you kind of know when to brake and when to slow down it just happens so you imagine doing almost three times that speed your brain hasn't corresponded to that you don't have that experience mm. so and you've got no marker points you're on a big open runway mm. so you're doing those sort of speeds um but you're not aware that you're, that is the actual speed you're doing and you'll put the brakes on and you think, oh, that's a sensible. You look, and you're still doing 140 miles an hour. Yeah. So we bought in this thing as well. When the cars go back round and they come back to the start line, as they before they come into the paddock area, we actually make them come to a stop and then drive off again. Mm. And it's to reset your mind because you can come into the paddock area, seat off, and go for your door, and you're still doing 100. So it's kind of very strange moving at those sort of speeds. And it's some things we have to tell people, like you've really got to whack on the brakes. People are like. I know it's obvious and it's like no dude trust me <laughs> you've really got to whack on the brakes because you're coming down and we've had it before we've had um, celebrities we've had royalty um, that wanted to do these sort of activities before and said we want to you know, print so and so of this country wants to do 200 miles an hour in this car can it be arranged for him and then between us and people like VMAX and these companies we'll arrange for those things to happen which is kind of quite strange saying mm-hmm. to someone Okay, you're gonna do this, you're gonna do that. What have you done before? And he's like, Oh, I once drove a Range Rover. It's like, okay, that's sort of all right. But yeah, <laughs> a so bit different. Yeah. yeah, but that's the where time, time, good instruction, building the speeds up, understanding the course layout. There's so many things we do, which is what we've learned over the years on how you can do what is a dangerous thing to do, but how you can do it safely. We did um, in the deserts of Nevada, we had Michelle Rodriguez, uh, Letty from Fast and Furious, doing uh, 201 miles an hour a jag across uh, Nevada across the deserts in Nevada Wow! so we originally had like seven miles of road closed for her to do it this wasn't a runway this was just two a two lane desert highway oh blimey okay. so off at seven mile we built speed come down and we brought it back and back and that was a great job because we said to um, the client 
we need a, a safety sweep car to go and do the run in front of her to make sure there's no animals on the road because obviously yeah. if you're doing an event on a runway even that's quite difficult to see mm-hmm. but if you're doing something on seven miles of nevada highway then that's really difficult to keep an eye on what you're doing um we said we need some sort of higher car or something and they gave us a jag svr as the safety car as well <laughs> so it's like we're just spending all day just up and down sweeping and but we said oh Real yeah we tough. said we said like we can't do 200 miles an hour we can't have the safety car doing 200 it's just not done so it's like we just knew 120 and that's it and it like built up a little bit yeah. going. but but yeah that event you know we that was a, a film for for jaguar land rover and it's just awesome and you can get 20 of us went out there rigged it up set it up she helicopters in you've got an a-list celebrity doing 201 mile an hour across the desert and that's a for not a massive budget it's not like a massive two three hundred thousand pound commercial or something mm-hmm. or it's not a massive 200 million dollar feature film yeah it's a small bit of online content that just blows people away with this new way of things being done youtube it's just one of those things yeah it's a new yeah new world yeah in that, in that element I yeah think we're doing a lot more especially in the extreme sports space the bang for buck that you can get versus some of the other activity um it's just yeah, yeah. amazing and then um on the cast i mean are you a four-wheel guy or ever take it to two wheels yeah, or, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> i've worked on a lot of motorbike stuff but i can't ride a motorbike i've never even ridden one before i would love a motorbike i'd love one i love all the titanium and carbon fiber and anodized bits you can get for mm-hmm. them but it's just, i just don't trust myself it's kind of i think it comes back to my time in emergency services it happens a lot and the statistics that you see are real right. and i've got the worst pain threshold ever i can't do it and fall <laughs> off a bike and hurt me so i know you could have an accident in a car and stuff but statistically i can tell you firsthand some of the um experiences that i've had with people and motorbikes are pretty pretty bad yeah. so it's kind I'll of close like, my ears to this oh, right. stay away. but i would love one i'd love mm. i love the idea of I'd, I'd love um some sort of uh, uh touring um also the gs is it the bmw gs yeah gs thousands and uh, gs 1300s mm. yeah, the, yeah love like that the idea adventure type yeah, right? yeah yeah and kind of doing some you know journeys across europe and all that but it's just i just don't trust myself can't do it yeah no. And um, one of the things I've I've kind of come across and um, seen on your social media was kind of the ADHD side and dealing with that. Mm. Uh, I love the fact how you're kind of open, positive about it and you embrace it and it helps you. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, just tell us a little bit about how that kind of has um, shaped your career experience and just life in general as well. I'd love to hear yeah. about that. Yeah, it's changed things massively. It's a weird one because I've only known about it for 18 months now. So for 41 years... I've kind of thought there's something not right. My thinking and my mind works differently. And it's and like school especially, I just couldn't do so much stuff which I could right. you know, at school. And, and even the military exams and things like that just weren't for me. And then in more recent times, I've been to the doctors twice thinking I had Alzheimer's because I'd be forgetful or I'd lose this. And it was like, something's not right here. And mm. both times the doctor was like, no. And then 18 months ago, um, listened to a radio phone in about adults that have ADHD that haven't been diagnosed and have gone into business and a lot of it in the creative media industry as well without oh, realising they've got it. Okay. I had this radio phone in and it was like someone showed me a new colour. Mm. You'd go like, wow, it's a new colour. How cool is mm. that? And it was like, <laughs> boom. And I had to pull over the lay-by and I was like, shit, 
I've got ADHD. That's what it is. It just all clicks. Yeah. yeah. And I thought it was for like kids that messed around at school and stuff. Mm. And Yeah, and I think there's, there's yeah, a stigma yeah. with that, isn't there? Yeah. A lot of people, and that's yeah. what people think. And I was Googling it, especially Googling it in adults. And it's like 100% this is what it is. And it just, everything suddenly made sense. Mm. Everything. My background, my um, failing not being able to do exams, so much stuff just kind of made sense. Um, so I had to go through the roots of getting it checked and being diagnosed and psychiatrists and psychologists. It comes up as a, it's classed as a mental health um, mm. illness. I'm at the moment quite lucky with it because I don't have any of the negative um, um, stigma that comes with it. It, it mm-hmm. does often go with depression and anxiety and a lot of other right. things. The um, Another thing connected to it is dyscalculia, which also kind of explains a lot of things for me about numbers and maths. So I've, I've never been able to do times tables, never been able to do division. just doesn't make any doesn't click. sense mm-hmm. to yeah. me. Um, so, yeah, it was quite an interesting one learning about that. And then spent a year and a half with various doctors and trying different types of medication. And it's um, it's changed me a lot because I've now understood why... I couldn't do those things and why I found things so difficult. And as an adult, it really affects you because just simple tasks that, that you would do and you'd be forgetful about, like losing things and um, putting things in one place, having too much going on at the same time, not being able to focus on just one thing. But then if you come back from that a little bit, that's kind of what's helped me to do, say, yeah, to do what that- I do. Yeah, because it enables you to think differently. And the people say that there's a lot of connections with ADHD and... Um, uh, creativity especially in business Richard Branson has it um, Einstein had it which is amazing that someone like Einstein yeah. Einstein got thrown out of college believe it or not wow well, okay. yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah he was thrown out of college because he was so forgetful and forget going to this lesson and blah 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 so it kind of um, explains a lot to me but yeah that um, thinking it gives you um, it gives you don't need instructions whereas if you had a flat pack furniture you'd get the instructions out people with ADHD wouldn't look at the instructions. They would try and work out their own way of doing it. So because of that, you can think and you see things differently. And it's so many things I see. If I'm, because my mind is very active, if I'm in a traffic jam and a car in front of me, I'm looking at the number plate and I'm trying to work out words I can make out of that number plate. (laughs) Whereas everyone else is sat in a traffic jam going, oh, I'm sat in a traffic jam. Just getting angry, yeah. Yeah, so it's just kind of, it enables me to see things very differently and especially in business, it's enabled me to just to do things differently. And if a client has an idea of a activity that they want to do or a marketing campaign or an advert or something like that, they'll explain it and I can just see it differently. So it's kind of, it's not great having it. And it does mean that there's constantly this drive inside you to do things um, uh, and to, to push and push to get things done. But the good side to it is it also enables you to, to visualize things and to see things in a different way. Um, and like our, you know, the, the company branding and logo and website and all that side of it, people say, oh, wow, have you done a vehicle that way and designed the logo to look like that? I mm. just kind of see things mm. that way. But if you ask me, can you work out how to work out the surface area of a triangle? I'm not your man, but I've got an iPhone. I mean, yeah. I can help you do anything. Yeah. So. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think either of us are the men to do that either. <laughs> no, but, <you> know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, um, and it's weird because the industries, film especially, there's a lot of people like myself mm. that have also had it and haven't been diagnosed with it um, and who have kind of realised that, oh, you know, maybe there's something not, not right. And it's mm. when you have, and then the good thing is as well, 
the medication that you have for it, which is a it's a it's a stimulant medication that that is used to treat a lot of ADHD. Right. It's a, it's an amphetamine that's used because mm. it's basically the front of your brain doesn't work at the same speed as the back of your brain. Right. So they okay. give you um, a type of medical grade amphetamine three times a day, speeds up the front of your brain, matches the back, and stabilizes your your thinking. But if you gave a normal person this, they'd probably be having a great time. Um, but obviously with me it just kind of like stabilizes things and just enables you to to do things but then on some days where um when we did um uh, was it red bull drift shifters massive event for red mm. bull we've got live feed satellite feed i'm running the whole track and all the activities on the track the world's best drifters all competing in this massive drift event there's so much going on that day i wouldn't have taken medication because I need to be doing 10 things at once. I have one earpiece in one ear that's the, the director's live broadcast. In the other ear, I've got all the track stewards and track marshals. I'm trying to work out, right, we've got this amount of time left, but we've got this going on. We've got this car's dropped oil, but this is going on here. So that ability to be a bit chaotic sometimes works quite well in what yeah, I do. But then other times, yeah. as I say, if I'm sat on a plane for 10 hours, have the medication sit back and just be like a normal person i suppose mm. best way to explain it amazing yeah. and yeah you, you think that's played a, a shape in kind of your career yeah. and how you how you approach that definitely and now now that i know what it is it's answered so many questions for me things like when i was in the fire brigade i was an rta rescue instructor so i would teach rta rescue and how to deal with a big car crash mm. um so you're teaching people with the average normal neuro um uh, neuro uh, minds on how minds normally work mm. people learn off of checklists and like procedures so you have like six phases of rescue and this 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 that's how you would teach people but i wouldn't know that checklist the only reason i know it is because i'm reading it off a powerpoint but if mm. i turned up at an rta on a motorway because i don't need the checklist i go right i'm going to close that road that road just get the police in because we're going to have a, that on there leaking oil into there so you need to get environments agency for that at the same time we're going to get ambulance on here here and here we're going to cut the roof here person is going to be extricated out of the left hand side so i'm doing that but without the checklist yeah, naturally yeah. yeah yeah but so some things it did help me and it helped me to understand how can i fail the exams who not remembering the checklist mm. but yet be quite good at doing the activity Mm. And now I understand why, why that was. So yeah. yeah, it's been an interesting, interesting 18 months kind yeah, of discovering why things are, are different. Also discovering other people as well. Um, working with others. I'm doing quite a lot at the moment for school leavers um, who have got ADHD and who have struggled to be oh, academic. Mm. I've got a coaching thing tonight for a guy. Um, it's trying to explain to people that you don't need to be academic to be, you could be seen, it's almost like, if you're not academic, you're not intelligent. Yeah, and I, for years, yeah. struggled with that and struggled with the fact that I didn't do well at school and I couldn't do maths and things. And now now I know and now I've proved myself. Um, it's different. You can go like, you can meet people and say, look, things are changing. There's a guy, um, Gary, you heard of Gary Vaynerchuk? Yeah, yeah. Gary V. Yeah. Yeah. Gary V. <laughs> I don't know if he, I think he might have it. He's very... I think he's got mild ADHD and mild dyslexia as well. Yeah, yeah he's got. A, it's one of those where, and he's got another one of these amazing leading yeah. lights who's actually showing that that education system doesn't fit everyone. And I yeah. think it's what a lot of people are hoping to see is that kind of progressive view of how we can actually educate children rather than just trying to fit everyone into this one mold. Yeah, he says um, that the the education system you're decided if you're intelligent if you can remember information you've been forced to yeah. recite. 
Mm. It's like, how does that deem that you're clever? Mm. Yeah, because, you know, and, and listen to his stuff is really, really interesting. And mm. obviously I'm by no means at his level, but it's just great for me to just meet people every couple of weeks who have got a similar background to me and explain, mm. look, yes, that is the way that things are in the UK. That's the way education mm. system is, but there is other ways now. And um, a lot of the... A lot of the people I work with, a lot of the YouTubers that I work with as well, you see them and they've probably got not very much academic qualification, mm. but they can be like a huge YouTuber making a ridiculous amount of money exactly. mm. just through thinking and doing mm. what they do and being quite quite different and quite disruptive with their ways of doing what they do. And it just mm. proves that there there is other ways now. There isn't necessarily the, the university route. There's mm. You've got to look at a lot of the people that these young kids massively look up to as their heroes now they're you know someone who's doing some creative stuff on youtube and has designed their own way of developing a brand and um you know massive instagram following and they can be charging 30 grand a day for what they do and stuff yeah. it's it's amazing to see how things are so different now and then what's the what does the future hold for you because i think you've been amazingly humble about your business you're I mean, from the outside looking in, it's so successful. What's what's that next step? Yeah. How can how can you progress? Um, so the business side of it, I've got a lot of good people in the office that run the company. So MSS, there's five people in the office that do what they do, um, and that's great. And I've got, I've always said, I have no real interest in business. Business doesn't really excite me. So I've got the guys there doing that. Like this morning, did three hours in the office, spoke to the guys, got the information they needed, and I'm now off doing what I do. So. That side of it, I'll always be there as the MD or whatever it wants to be called, running all that sort of mm -hmm. stuff. But for me, it's more about now the next thing I like doing, which is the just working with people to, to make things happen. And that's kind of in like a production, location, safety, facilitating role. Um, I had a meeting at YouTube the other week with a very well-known YouTuber wants to do this, wants to do that. And it's like, okay, well, I know this location, I know this person. So for me, it's about bringing these people together and doing some just new things. It might not necessarily be a massive $200 million car chase movie thing. It might just be smaller bits of online. I did a job for, for Red Bull recently. That was um, Mad Mike, who's one of Red Bull's drifters and one of their Dakar drivers doing this big car chase around Goodwood. And then oh, the yeah. yeah, with the Slambo, was it? That's it, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we had um, the Dakar truck jumping over the top of the Slambo yeah, at the that. end. Um, and that's, that's the sort of thing that I like doing, just, you know, being this person that's got various contacts, locations, ideas, and just brings it all together. Um, still safety in a way, because it's always going to be high risk type activities, but yeah, just yeah. kind of making things happen and being a facilitator. So yeah. if we've got anything that's never been done before, you're yeah. the man to come and see and make <laughs> yeah. it happen, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very rare that someone comes with an idea and be on the phone and I'm like, nah, you're taking a piss, you can't do that. Right, challenge <laughs> but it's, accepted. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's always like ways that things can be done. Um, but well, we did a show years ago, about two years ago, called Carnage out in the deserts of South yeah. Africa. Do you see that? With cars battling in the desert, like real life Mad Max sort oh, of stuff. Okay. And I remember on the phone and hearing that thinking, you're going to put normal people in cars with like angle grinders on the front and rockets and fighting oh, each wow. other. Okay. Oh, it's crazy. Sky One did it. Really, I think it's still available to watch. It was like, wow. But no one got hurt and we did it. And it's things like that, just doing different ideas, different stuff that people say can't be done. So I say, well, mm. if we do this, this and this, maybe we can do it. And that's the sort of, that's what the future holds me, that sort of stuff. Amazing. And if you had advice for anybody out there, what would your kind of leaving leaving oh, thought man. be um 
Hmm. Trying to think. There was once a bit of advice I was given, which was, um, that was it. It was, it was from a guy I know who's a very well known. He's called a picture vehicle coordinator. So he, if you're working on a film or TV show, he knows how to source all the vehicles that you need. And he once said to me, "Never be the same as your opposition. If you're the same as your opposition in business, clients won't come to you. They've already got that." Mm-hmm. You've got to be different to your position. You've got to be the opposite and have something unique the opposition don't do. I think that was probably the best bit of advice I was ever given in business because he's correct. You've got to you know, yeah, think differently and find something unique. And that's where I found something unique, which is combining cars and risky type activities and what my background is. That's kind of how I've done this unique thing which is different to because there is no opposition in that sort of activity it's quite mm. it's quite rare and what he said massively made sense um from the business side of stuff from personal perspective god so much stuff I've been told <laughs> I, mean, I don't listen to anyone's advice I just kind of like, do what I do it just kind of happens really Sponge. take <laughs> yeah. it all in yeah people give me advice and say oh I'll do this do that I'm like oh yeah yeah but in the back of my mind I've got it planned out how how I'm going to do it already mm. I'll ask people for advice just to kind of like bounce ideas around, I probably have made up my mind what we're going to do before I even ask them for advice. But but the business side of it, yeah, yeah, that's what I'd say. It's just kind of don't be the same as your position. Find new, different ways of, of doing stuff. And if you're if you've got something that you're passionate about and some sort of extreme sport or some sort of activity that you do, something that's just different and it's got that element of risk to it that people like, um, go with it. Yeah, make it kind of make it happen and. It might not work, but you might be in the right place at the right time and meet the right people, and suddenly, boom, you're on your you're on your way. Yeah, fantastic. It's the same That's with a lot of the same with the stunt performers that I work with. Have come from various backgrounds. They've just met someone that said this and said, "Oh, we need this," and you meet all these stunt performers that kind of have come from weird and wonderful things, and then suddenly they're 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 on it, and they're kind of doing all the massive movies and doing all the big stunts around the world, and. And they've done that just through being a specialist in what they do. And suddenly they've got that opportunity to um, to go for it and to kind of jump on this weird sort of world of movies and films and mm-hmm. events and stuff like that. But I mean, yeah, it sounds amazing from my perspective. I've learned a lot from that, actually. That's um, cool. That's yeah, cool. really appreciate you coming in. Ah, thank you for um, having Yeah, me. really Love positive it. and um, good luck with it. Cool. Love it. See you soon. Well, that's it for another episode thanks for listening don't forget to give us a follow to keep up to date with the latest episodes and share it with your friends so they can get some of their time too